Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you are with us. We are getting into a new sermon series on money. This one is only for two weeks. Now, after hearing me just talk about our vision 2022, if you are new here, you might be thinking, see, I knew it. All churches do is talk about money. Well, this series is not because we want to get something from you, but we want to look to God's word and offer some wisdom to you. Because let's face it, money is a very relevant part of all of our lives. I don't think I go one single day without thinking about money, especially lately when I've been filling up my gas tank or buying groceries. No joke, just a few days ago, I was in the store across the street from my house, and a gallon of milk was almost $5, and a dozen eggs was almost $5. And that was pretty concerning to me because I eat like six eggs almost every morning, and that's only for first breakfast. So I'm afraid that I'm going to go hungry because it can be a, a little bit stressful these days. You've probably heard the saying before that money can't buy happiness. I think that's true. But I think that there is some connection between our happiness and money. Because you've probably been robbed of your happiness at some time in your life just struggling to pay the bills. Or maybe you've experienced happiness by paying off a debt or paying off a loan. Maybe you've been robbed of happiness when you just compare yourself to other people who just seem to have it all and you think, you're just barely making it by. But you can also experience happiness when you're content with the things that you already have in your life. And so regardless of where you're at financially, I think that there is some wisdom in God's word that can really help us to experience more happiness when it comes to the topic of money. And so this morning, we are going to be in a short book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Now, that, that is a mouthful right there. You might be thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound like a normal English word. It's not a normal English word. Actually, I didn't even know what the book of Ecclesiastes meant until I looked it up this week. And the word Ecclesiastes is the Greek word for teacher. And so this book of the Bible is called teacher because the author of this book refers to himself all throughout it as the teacher. He kind of takes this position of like an older, wiser mentor who has a lot of wisdom to offer us as the readers. And he offers us a pretty unique perspective on life. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes before, you'd probably walk away from it thinking, this book is really sad and pessimistic. And if you were to take the book of Ecclesiastes, just do that good old flip through it and point to a verse and start reading it, you might be a little bit confused at what you're reading. And you might be like, why is this even in the Bible? And so some of the pieces of this book, if you were just to point to it and read it, it's confusing. It might not even make sense. But I think that if you understand the big picture of this book, You can see how all the pieces fit together, and it makes a whole lot more sense. And so before I get into talking about money specifically, I want to just frame out the big picture of this book so that we can understand how money fits into this big idea here. And so the guy who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, 
he set out to answer this one question that I think is on the hearts and minds of everybody here on this earth. And that question is, where can I find purpose and happiness? And so this teacher made it his full-time job to come to the answer this question right here. And he only put one boundary on his search. He only looked here on this earth in this life. He only looked under the sun. He didn't look to heaven and he didn't look to spiritual things. He's just like, all right, what is there in this life that can answer this question? And in his search, this is what he came to. In verse 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, after reading that, you might be like, now I know why this book of the Bible is sad and pessimistic. It sounds pretty rough that he would call everything in life meaningless. And this word here, meaningless, is sometimes translated as vanity. It's probably the most common word in this entire book of the Bible. And really, it goes back to this Hebrew word called hevel. And hevel, it can mean uh, meaningless, vanity. But I think the better picture from this word is smoke or breath. It's kind of like when you're outside on a cold winter day and you can see your breath in the air. You can see it for just a moment, and then it's gone. It's It's there, and then it's gone. And so what he's saying here is everything in this life It's here for just a moment. It's very temporary. Even our lifespans are like this breath of air that are here for a moment, and then they're gone. If all of you had just one more day left to live, what would you do with your last 24 hours? Most of us would probably spend our last 24 hours doing the things that we enjoy with the people that we love. But how many of us would be like, I'm going to put in some more overtime. Or if you're a student, would you be like, I'm going to cram for this test. Let me read one more textbook with my last 24 hours. No, I don't think so. Or how many of us would spend our last hours working on a house project or fixing up our car? Probably not, right? And when we think about how short life is, It really gives us a perspective on what is important. And even if we are living longer than 24 hours, our life really is short. And I think it's helpful for us to think about what is really important in life. I think it's been ingrained in all of us that working towards the American dream is what's important in life. The American dream is really a standard of living where if you work hard, then you can have these nice things in your life. But it always seems like that next nice thing is out ahead of you. And so maybe you can finally get that one thing and then there's something else. You need to have it and so you work for that. And then it's the next thing and the next thing. And you can get to this point in your life where you're just chasing after all of these things and you don't take a moment to enjoy what you already have. And even that pursuit is like a breath of air. It's there for a moment and then it's gone and what does it really matter at the end of your life. Well, what about education? Education is important, right? 
Most people are encouraged to go to college after high school, get a degree. Maybe if you're motivated and you have the ambition for it, you can go on for a master's degree. You maybe get two master's degrees and then a doctorate and then a PhD. You could read hundreds of books. But at the end of the day, even with all that education, all the smarts, you're still just a normal person making your way through this life. And all of that education It doesn't add to your lifespan or anything like that. All right, what about making an impact with your life? What if you are a high achiever, you start a business, or you have influence in the community? You could do all these big things, make a name for yourself, pass on your legacy to your kids. But generations could go by, and after a few generations, the people who live on ahead of you, they might not remember your name or the impact that you made. And so even that is like a breath of air. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone, just like that. And so, I'm sorry, that's probably not what you wanted to hear on a Sunday morning, like, woo, let's get our morning off to a good start here. But in all of that, the author in Ecclesiastes seeks to answer that question, all right, if everything is meaningless, what should we even do with our lives? And so the conclusion he came to is in chapter 8 and in verse 15. He says, So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days God has given them under the sun. And so remember, this conclusion that he is coming to is from the perspective of just looking for purpose and happiness here on this planet Earth. If this life is all that there is, then the greatest joy doesn't come from just working really hard to have a lot of nice things or spending your life trying to make some kind of huge impact, or working up the ladder of success, or figuring everything in life out. And he's saying, kind of just sit back and enjoy some of the things that you already have in life. Now, how many of us can regularly spend time enjoying a meal with our families? Or how many of us are so busy on the regular that we just don't even eat breakfast in the morning because we're on the go and there's always some other place to be and we're just stacked with things to do and life is moving 100 miles an hour. Most of the time when I ask people how they're doing, the most common answer that I get is that I'm busy. And honestly, I'm in the same boat. I went to the, the gym just a few days ago and it wasn't to do a workout. I went to the gym to cancel my membership because I'm just so busy in life. And I'm not saying that your busyness is not legitimate. I'm not saying that you should just eat breakfast in the morning as if that's the spiritual thing to do, even at the cost of going into work late. But I just want to get us all thinking, are the things in life that drive our busyness really all that important? Maybe some things are, but Maybe some of this busyness is self-imposed because we're not following the wisdom of God's word. It's so easy to buy into this idea that our culture tells us that more is better. Like if one car in the driveway is good, two cars is better. 
And if you live in this area, you probably want a truck too. Or upgrading your house to more square footage or a bigger backyard. These are all things even in my life that I look at and I'm like, yes, that's what I want. There's a few things for me personally, I feel like I just can't have enough of. That is tools, workout equipment, and camping gear. It always seems like there's one more thing that I need to have. And I don't see an issue with that. But what I do see an issue is with my wife and all the things that she thinks she needs more of that I'm like, hold on. We don't need more blankets, candles, or pillows. <laughs> yep. That's Gabby. Yeah. Some people have this chore in the morning where they make their bed. I have this chore at night where I remove the 15 pillows from my bed so that I can lay down to sleep. And so more is not always better. You see, happiness doesn't come from just wanting and achieving more things. And this can sound so backwards, but happiness comes from wanting less. And so this is what we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and in verse 4. He says, And I saw that all the toil and all the achievement spring from one person's envy of another. And this too is meaningless, chasing after the wind. And so to give you my modern paraphrase of this verse, I would say that it is hard work to keep up with the Joneses, and it's just not even worth it. So often, we think that we need to have more and more things just because we envy what other people have. Envy is a word that means just being jealous for other people's stuff. And this is one of those things that is kind of sneaky because it's hard to identify in our lives. And so I want to give you just two scenarios to get you thinking about the reality that sometimes we want things just because other people have them. So let's say I was to take your house and everything that you own, uproot it, and put it in this housing development surrounded by houses that look like this. And houses that have like BMWs in the driveway, an in-ground pool in the back. And then you've got your house that just stands out like a sore thumb. After a while, would you be kind of embarrassed of your place? Like, oh man, I mean, I can't keep up with my neighbors but maybe if I can just work some overtime hours, swipe my credit card, I can spruce up, my, spruce up my place a little bit, maybe put a new car in the driveway, and then I can keep up. All right, now, new scenario. Let's take your house and everything that you own, uproot it, and put it in the middle of a village in a third world country where you are surrounded by neighbors who have dirt floors, Chickens are hopping in and out of the windows. And these people are working really hard just to put a meal on the table for that day. Now, how would you feel about working extra hard so you could put a BMW in your driveway? Well, the people that you're living next to are struggling just to put a meal on the table. And I think it can go to show us that the people that we are surrounded with can so often feed our envy or even make us appreciate what we have. And maybe you could say, all right, wait, hang on a minute. I don't really envy other people because I can't name off people whose stuff I really want. Maybe that's the case for you. But maybe you envy the things that you see advertised on TV. Because companies will spend billions of dollars 
just advertising their products in a way that gets you to envy what they are selling. They want you to buy their product whether or not you need that to begin with or whether or not you have the money for it. It's a whole marketing, marketing scheme just to feed our envy. And so I think that more envy equals more spending. That's what advertisement is all about. But the flip side of that is also true, that less envy can equal less spending. And I think that's good when it comes to things that we don't need or money that we don't have, that less envy can lead to less debt. Let's go ahead and take a look at the next couple of verses here in this passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in verse 5, it says, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, if I could sum up these verses with just one word, that one word would be moderation. The Bible isn't saying that we should just sit back, be lazy, not put in a day of work. That is foolish. But then we have the other extreme of just not appreciating what we have because we are overworking just to add more to our plate. And the moderation is to to make enough to have just as much as you need and then to just enjoy what you have. And I think this can apply to so many areas of our lives. Now imagine with me, if you were to buy a hunting cabin, it's like, yes, you can enjoy the weekends in the mountains. You're like, well, I like the mountains, but I also like the beach. I think I need a beach house. And so then you start working seven days a week to be able to afford this beach house. And all the while, you can't even enjoy the fact that you have this hunting cabin because you're busy chasing this other thing. I know for me personally, this comes in the form of house renovations. I'm just renting a house, but my landlord has allowed me to make some renovations to the place, which is even better because even though I put in the work, I'm spending somebody else's money. So it all started with the living room. I put in some new flooring, painted the walls. I'm like, yes, it looks good. And then I'm looking at the kitchen, and that kitchen had blue carpet in it. I'm like, whoa, can't have that. So then I got to redo the carpet in the kitchen. Then I'm like, wow, if I'm going this far, I can replace the carpet in the entire house, which was well overdue. So then I'm replacing the carpet in the whole house, and I'm painting like every wall in the house. And then the other thing is I wanted to clean out this back room so I could set up a workout area. It was just like one project to the next. Instead of just sitting back and enjoying the things that I had already worked on, the fact that I had a nice living room, the fact that I didn't have blue carpet in my kitchen. And all the while, while I'm working on these projects, I'm also looking on like realtor.com to see if there's houses in Tunkhannock. And I was looking at these real fixer-upper houses like, oh man, if I could only move to Tunkhannock and then I would buy this house that would have a lot of projects to do and I'd probably spend more months of my life, maybe even years working on these projects. And I'm willing to bet that there would come a time when I'm like, I could upgrade this house to this other house that's even bigger and just take on more projects. And at the end of my life, I just spend so much time working on these house projects instead of just enjoying what I already have. And so happiness doesn't really come from wanting more. I think that we can have more happiness in our lives for wanting less stuff. 
And what's also true is that happiness comes from keeping less. Let's go ahead and check out chapter 5 in verse 10 here. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I mean, how many of you can relate to this idea that enough is never enough? There's always something else out there, and it's hard to be satisfied with what you got because you think, oh, that is what will really give me satisfaction. And so often I think we can relate to finally getting that thing and still being dissatisfied with it. Maybe it's even a stressor in our lives. More things doesn't necessarily improve the quality of our lives, which is kind of hard to believe. But if you think about it, to be able to buy something else, you have to pay for it, or you have to make payments on it. And then on top of that, you probably have to pay for maintenance. And then you have this obligation to use and enjoy what you already have. A few months ago, I was preaching at the Montrose campus, and I used this illustration about how I would love to have a Toyota Tacoma. That is like my dream truck. And a few weeks after giving that message, one of the guys sent me a Facebook message with a listing for a Toyota Tacoma. It was a 2006 listed for like $13,000. It looked like good condition, had some modifications like a brush guard on the front, this cap on the back. And I let myself dream about it for just a minute. I was like, oh man, that would be a sweet ride. And then I came back to reality that that's not the best financial move for me right now. And I, I probably could buy that truck if I was committed to working seven days a week, picking up this side job where I could work evenings as well. I could scrape together $13,000 if I was motivated enough. But then I would have to pay for the maintenance of this truck. I already complained that my car is causing me issues, and that's a 2007. So if I get this 16-year-old vehicle, it's just going to be more money going into maintenance. But then it wouldn't end there, because then I'd be thinking about upgrades. Like if I had a truck, I could get one of those cool tent things that goes on the top rack, where I could take this vehicle off-roading, pop up this tent, don't even have to pay for a hotel. I'd actually be saving money if I had one of these tents. But even if I had this upgrade, then I, it wouldn't stop there. I'd think, all right, now that I have this tent, I got to go on a trip to really enjoy this tent. And so then I'd have to be saving up my vacation days, working extra hours so that I can afford this trip. And finally, when things are all said and done, would this truck really bring joy to my life? Or would it just stress me out trying to pay for it, keep up with it, and feeling like I can't enjoy other trips, that I have to go on this one trip that will use this thing that I just sunk so much money to. And all of that would probably come at the cost of sleep, health, relationships with other people. My marriage probably wouldn't do so well if I was just working for this truck. And so that thing that I could picture would just give joy to my life. 
It would actually be a stressor in my life that robs me of happiness. And there can be things in our lives that we currently have that really aren't adding joy to our lives. It's just a stressor. How many of us walk into our car garages and just breathe out and be like, ah, this is a place of tranquility. Most of us are praying that an avalanche of stuff doesn't come falling down on us because that's where we just put all the things that we don't use anymore. And maybe you would experience more happiness by taking a load of stuff that you don't use anymore to Salvation Army instead of just moving one more thing to your garage that you don't use anymore. Or maybe you're making payments on your house or your car, and these payments are stressing you out. And it's hard to just make it by from week to week, month to month. And you're thinking, all right, do I have to pick up another job? Do I have to work harder to make ends meet? But maybe working harder isn't really the solution. Maybe the best thing for you to do is to downsize in your life, to think about the things that you're paying for. And do you really need that? Is that a source of happiness in your life? Or is it coming at the cost of stress and anxiety? Maybe you're working really hard to put together a two-week vacation. You're logging those extra hours. You're putting money in the bank. And you're stressed out about it. And saving up for that two-week vacation is what's making you feel like you need a two-week vacation to begin with. And it's not something that is adding joy to your life. Now, all of this just goes back to the big idea of this book, that if life is so short, then why are we just working, working, working for more stuff instead of just sitting back and enjoying what we already have? But remember, this is all coming from the perspective that this life is all that there is. But at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the author doesn't just keep the perspective that this life is all that there is. He looks beyond this earth and the sun, and he looks to heaven to answer that question, where can I find purpose and happiness? And so this is how he concludes the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 12, verse 13, he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. If this life is all that there is, and there is no such thing as another life in eternity, then let's just sit back and enjoy the things that we have. Work just enough to provide for our needs because we can't take all of our stuff with us to the grave. We just leave it here on earth. But if, if God is real, if there is a life that goes on after this life, then that is the source of our purpose and our happiness. Yeah, we can't take our stuff with us to heaven but we can make a difference for eternity with the way that we live on this life. And that is when we live for God and we obey what God has for us because the, these verses say that, that God will hold us accountable for the way that we live this life. And we can't take our money with us to heaven, but we can make an impact for eternity with our money in the way that we spend it here in this life. We can make a difference for eternity when we give our money back to God. 
We can give our money back to God when we are generous to other people, when we don't hold on to it with closed fists, but we give it to people in need. We can give our money back to God when we give it to local church ministry or some other kind of ministry. You can give to missionaries. And it all goes back to what we talked about before of life change and people knowing Jesus. Money doesn't last forever. Things don't last forever. Your car won't last forever. But the souls of people last forever. And we can use our money to to see God make a difference in the lives of people and change the course of their eternity. I think that's what it's all about. And so as we wrap things up this morning, I just want to leave us with three action steps. And the first one is to replace your help. Pray that God will help you to replace your envy with contentment. Maybe that means praying for that person that you are really jealous of. Maybe that means just sitting back and appreciating what you have and focusing on what you do have instead of what you don't have. And then the third thing is to declutter your life, clean things out, or maybe even downsize. Maybe that means taking a load of things to Salvation Army, to just getting rid of some things that are actually stressors in your life. Or maybe you're making some payments on some things that are a little bit overwhelming. And the best thing for you to do is to just downsize a little bit in order to make ends meet. And then lastly, give money back to God. Yes, we can't take our money to heaven, but we can invest our money into eternity when we give it back to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this life is not all that there is. I thank you that it's not just meaningless. It's not just vanity because you give us purpose. You give us happiness that will endure for all of eternity if we just believe in Jesus for salvation and live our lives for you. So help us not just to be focused on this life and the things that come and go. Help us to focus on the things that last forever. Help us to be burdened for the souls of people who don't know you. Help us to use our money in a way that makes a difference for eternity. And help us to find our joy in life in you, no matter what our circumstances are. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.